The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke chapter 2, beginning at the first verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, a, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. For the gospel of the Lord, pray for Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Loving God, may the words that come from my mouth be inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated? Well, we are here. It is Christmas Day 2021. It has been a year. I am grateful for those who have gathered physically here in our church building to sing with one voice and worship together as we celebrate Christ's birth. I am grateful for the gift of technology and the experience of the last couple of years that enables those who did not feel able for various reasons to join us physically, but are singing with that same one voice in different locations. I am grateful for those who later in the day, week, month or year will connect and add their harmony to the chorus. While I realise this Christmas is very different to the one that we celebrated back in 2019, 
with this physical space busting at the seams with around 300 people crammed as tightly as they could be. Makes you shudder, doesn't it? We don't do that anymore, do we? I'm grateful. In, In fact, more than that, I'm humbled and somewhat overwhelmed at the privilege of being able to share with you a Christmas message in these extraordinary times, in this multifaceted way. Today does seem like a bit of a milestone, one that we've been leading up to. Our governments have been preparing the way as best they can for us to have what I've heard termed as Christmas as much as possible as normal this year. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Our business community has been gearing up to receive our tourist and transient-based economy with a little bit of a boost. Some of you might be here sitting in this room or at home with family and friends that you haven't seen for over a year or more. There is, however, part of me that's wondering, why does getting to Christmas matter so much? Is it all really worth it? Wouldn't we be better off treating this just like a normal day, keeping on, keeping on with our own personal response to what we've decided is the best way to approach this crazy world we find ourselves living in? My standard greeting at this time of year is Happy Christmas. But how happy can it be if your family members couldn't be with us today because there is still travel restrictions, complications or cancelled flights? How happy is it if last night you got a text message from Queensland Health asking you to test and isolate? How happy is it if you've just lost a loved one? or you're disconnected or distanced from your family and friends? How happy is it if you live alone and you don't have anyone to share a meal with later today? For my sins, I love statistics. So I'm going to share a few interesting statistics about Christmas uh, this year with you. I hope you don't find them uh, too boring. But research shows that 46% of Australians find Christmas time tough. Just under half of us are struggling in some way right at the moment. Wouldn't it be nice to go back to normal? Why can't we just say, Happy Christmas, and actually be happy at Christmas? As we're greeted by these ancient but very familiar words that Paul read to us from Luke's Gospel. It doesn't take too much digging to realize that in many ways, times haven't really changed all that much. Jesus was born in a highly politicized and polarized world at a time when the government was regulating the movement of its population. Sound familiar? It seems like our greatest fear this year has been that Christmas might be ruined. 
But what if Christmas itself was actually about ruining what is normal, comfortable, expected, and planned? In the midst of first century ordinariness, social norms and constructs, in the midst of polarized opinions and political maneuvering, the creator of the universe intrudes and disrupts all that is normal, usual, planned, and expected. Christmas actually reminds us that disruption is good news. The term disruptor has become part of our everyday vernacular these days, and it's a highly sought-after position. A disruptor is an innovator that changes a product or a service's business model, its value proposition or its strategic direction. Disruptors often make redundant the old way of doing things. McDonald's is probably one of the longest-term disruptors in our um, economy at the moment, but Uber, Apple, Microsoft, Zoom over the last couple of years, Netflix, Amazon, Tesla are all examples of corporate disruptors. It's the disruptors that change our way of life. Disruptors change the world. So does it seem surprising that God would be humanity's greatest disruptor? The problem with commercial disruptors is that there's always going to be someone trying to disrupt the disruptors. That's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? Disrupt the disruptors. It was easier to write than to speak. Looking to find that next best thing. But if we got Christmas right, the people of Christmas should be in a continual state of disruption, continuing to change what began with the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ all those years ago. Did you know that 81% of Australians are supportive of the religious and traditional symbols and origins at Christmas time? That's a lot higher than I thought it would be. But what if that 81% realised how radical Christmas really was? I wonder if that number would be a little lower. The word that we translate as in, in today's Bible reading, I think gives us a sense of the radical nature of what this story is all about. The word that we hear as in is only used one other time in Luke's Gospel. And that's in the preparation for the Last Supper, when Jesus met with his disciples before he was crucified. But in that verse, in Luke 22, verse 11, it's usually translated as an upper room. In our westernization of this story, I think most of us imagine Joseph and Mary arriving at a hotel and being turned away that it's all full because uh, the Australian and English cricket team are quarantining there at the moment. 
And what happens is they find a filthy animal shelter to make do, the origin of that famous quote, Merry Christmas, you filthy animal, um, if you've watched Home Alone. <laughs> Not really. But that's what we imagine, isn't it? That there's nothing for them to go to, so they stumble upon all that's available. Well, if we were living in that ancient Near Eastern Jewish world, we might have seen something a little different. It's more likely that there was no room in Mary and Joseph's family's upper or guest room. Most family dwellings had three levels. The lower was where the animals were kept, above is where the family resided, and the upper level, there was space in every home that could have this arrangement for a guest, for hospitality. It was so much a part of their culture. It was embedded in their buildings, always room for the visitor. So when Luke says there was no space in the upper room, it's likely that because of the census, the space in this family home was already beyond capacity. There was no room, nothing appropriate for a pregnant woman. Because there were other family members there. And the birth of a child was actually important. So rather than the second best out the back that we imagine it to be, with a stable and a manger, we have a first century example of what we now call a pivot to ensure that neither hospitality or family was compromised. They may have felt weighed down by the demand of gathering in the place of origin to meet government requirements, but that wasn't going to stop this particular household from compromising on what was most important to it, hospitality and family. And so they innovated and created an unexpected space in the lower level, still in the same home, among the animals. Now, it still has all that Christmassy charm that we sing about in the carols, but in that first century story, we have the disruption of God in the world, which is quickly followed by the disruption of the people around. God is the disruptor, and then the people become disruptors themselves. Then the shepherds, then the wise men, and then the world. While 46% of Australians find this time of year tough, more than half of Australians would be happy to open their homes to people who didn't have family to share Christmas with. I wonder if this is an opportunity for those who believe that the story of Christmas is more than just a story to continue this type of disruption. Now, we don't need to poll everyone on the way out of church to see what they're doing after the service finishes for the rest of the day. Although it wouldn't hurt to start to be more alert and more aware of who around us might be in need, who might be struggling, who might be suffering, who might be finding this time of year tough. 
or the whole of the year tough? The way that we best find out that, in fact, the only way I know of to find out who those people are is to build or rebuild connections with others. As a church in the lead up to Christmas, we've focused on reconnecting with the Christ of Christmas. When we connect with Christ, we find that we are set in the direction also of others. We're set in the direction of following Christ, but Christ is always pointing us away from ourselves to those around us. So this is my last random statistic for you. I hope you haven't been too bored by those. Australians believe that they get the worst gifts from extended family members. Those who don't live in your household. The worst ones come from those people. Next on the list of most worst is work colleagues, closely followed by your boss. Do you know who you get your best gifts from, according to Australians? From your spouse, your mum, or your dad. Dads look like they could lift their game a little bit with Christmas presents, which is pretty fair in our family, because I think my wife did most of the Christmas shopping. Oh, she did, the, did all of our Christmas shopping. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you see, the best and the most meaningful gifts come from those who know us best. Is that surprising? Now, I wonder what a disruption it would be in our world if we really, I mean, really got to know those people who God places around us. I mean, if we really got to know our extended family, would they give us such rubbish gifts? If we really got to know our work colleagues or our bosses, or the people that we do life with? Or are we just existing on a superficial level and focusing in on ourselves? Could we find in that endeavour to really get to know those people that there are actually needs that we can meet? Relationships that we can build into and nurture? Love that we can show and share? Could we show hospitality like that family on the first Christmas did to Mary and Joseph, could we actually become family? Family. It's an interesting concept, isn't it, in the world in which we live in? Family that is more than just the people that we live in a house with at a street number, in an address, but family that extends way beyond ourselves. In the Holy Spirit's power, could we help change the world? If you do decide that you want to reconnect with the Christ of Christmas, expect disruption. Don't pray for it to be how it used to be. Look to continue the pattern of disruption that began in that very first Christmas story. Getting to Christmas doesn't actually matter anywhere near as much as what we can learn and take from it. 
Happy Christmas. Amen.